Welcome back, everybody, to Couch to Couch with Chuck LeBlanc. So Couch to Couch, making therapy make sense. You know, I've said the title 300,000 times so far, and for me to mess it up right away is pretty hilarious. But anyway, you know where you are, and you know who I am. Uh, but let's introduce the psychotherapist that I'll be talking to today. So I have Elisa McCaddy, uh, who's a re- registered psychotherapist who works with youth and adult individuals and the owner of Levity Counseling Services. Alisa describes her work as helping people learn what the heck their brain is doing and finding ways to hold their stuff differently. I love that. She works virtually and in person in Ottawa, Ontario. All right, welcome to the show, Alisa. Thank you for having me, Chuck. You're welcome. So I want to give the audience, give you a chance to introduce yourself to the audience to make sure that I fill in any gaps with the bio. I know that was a quick bio um, because I think you have a lot more to say and it's a lot easier to get you to say it than me. Um, and then also to help people find you. So if you have a website, Instagram handle, in all those ways. Yes. So I'll start with that. Um, our website is levitycounseling.com. And we're also on Facebook at, at Levity Counseling. Um, and it's myself and my associate, Jess. Um, both of us work from a very like authentic, human-first approach to therapy. Um, I work with a lot of anxiety and, and trauma but I love all kinds of clients and uh, um, I'm looking forward to being here. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Well, welcome to the show. So I know um, a lot of what we were talking about originally, like before the the recording, which I should have hit record when we were talking, which is something that I say almost every uh, episode, maybe I'll learn one day, is, (laughs) you know, about authenticity in counseling. So we were talking about, you know, our favorite things to work with. Uh, and really, for, for, for the both of us, because I completely agree with you, it boils down to the people and less the presenting issues because everyone's different that they come in. So it's, you know, I, mm-hmm. I deal with male mental health, and that was kind of my niche that I walked into, but it, I'm not completely confined to that. It's more about meeting new people and, and working, well, teaming up to work with whatever they want to work with. Mm-hmm. And so walk me through through that, because you talked a lot about the authenticity piece, uh, and the therapist piece, and I know the niche that's starting to develop for you or unfold for you has to do with uh, really uniquely people who have had bad experiences mm-hmm. in therapy prior to, to to meeting you. So tell me a little more about that. Yeah, so this this burgeoning niche kind of came about organically, just hearing a number of clients. Um, who initially resonated with my bio for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then as we started talking in in the first session or two, it came out that, you know, I had a negative experience with like, whether it be one therapist or a number of therapists in the past for whatever reason. Um, And they seemed to like my like authentic, like I present as a human talking Mm -hmm. to another human. Um, If I can tell someone's nervous in the first few sessions, like, I'm not um, against a bit of self-disclosure. I'll talk about that. I go to my own therapy and I get that it's, it can be nerve wracking and it's a strange experience. Um, and so I've, I've found that the clients that, that um, I do mostly long-term work, the clients that stay with me are clients that um, feel different than they have in the past in mm-hmm. therapy. Um, and uh, it's pretty cool to see them stick around and, and do really cool long-term work with me. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. It's less about presenting concern and it's more about therapist fit and more about like kind of speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Like 
um, whatever that may be. Like I, I have clients that um, have tried me and um, I can tell that they're like, Ooh, the fit, the way you talk, the way you, it's not mm -hmm. a good fit. And that's totally okay. It's totally okay. And it sounds like the same for you. Yeah, it's exactly the same. And you know, one of the things it's interesting because when I got into to therapy as I was training. So as I was going through my, my school for the two years before the practicum, I had become very obsessed with uh, Rogers, Carl Rogers. So person-centered therapy. So, and it, it aligned, person-centered therapy aligned a lot with my philosophical upbringing because at the time, uh, parallel to this, I was also studying postmodern thought. So one background, I know we, we talked about yours, so I didn't really introduce you to mine because I forgot. Mm -hmm. um, I have a master's in philosophy and a master's in psychology counseling. So uh, my philosophical background really feeds everything I do. So it's like the foundation for my work. And then the psychology would be like the tools oriented foundation, if that makes sense. So I've yeah. always found the, the psychology side is my way of making philosophy practical, hands-on, and active, as opposed to like ivory tower, drowning in books, thinking mm -hmm. theory for theory's sake. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because both philosophy and psychology are human sciences. So that's a big part of it. And so what I found originally from the philosophical background is that it's really about relationships. So human, human development is about relationships, relationships to other people, relationships to yourself, relationships to the things you have reason to value relationships mm -hmm. to barriers that come up in the way, whether those barriers are internal or external. And so once I met Carl Rogers in his thinking back in theories of personality in like my third course all that time ago, I was really struck by how he feels about the other person. And what I mean is he really viewed it as it's, it's human to human connection is what's going on in the therapy room. It's not expert and patient yes and that was pretty revolutionary back then in the like 40s and 50s because we, we were like stuck in knee deep in psychoanalysis mm -hmm. which was very different with freud and lacan and and jung it was just a very different way of of seeing it and so he was the first one really to say listen we're people talking to people and a lot of the issues that people are going through is because of these introjections or these uh pauses in their personalities and their what they want to be doing because other people are suggesting they do something else or society is getting mm -hmm. in the way and they're just trying to come out and do their own thing but they've got all these barriers in place and yeah. you know that presents itself in many different ways we can get into and so for me it's all about the the relationship entirely yes entirely mm -hmm. and that that like from that safe space of the like solid foundation of secure attachment from there um they're going to do what they do like mm -hmm. people are going to heal um they don't need someone up above them um kind of prescribing what to do i, that's I right. feel pretty strongly about that yeah and i think i think that's a large part of it i noticed from my clients and my own personal therapeutic work for myself the validation piece and not being judged about what's coming out and what you're doing is a, a large part of that sigh of relief, which opens people up to be able to say, Oh, wait a minute. I'm not yeah. broken. I'm not a yeah. problem. Mm -hmm. And and I find um, that's the challenge with a lot of, especially with trauma, but a, a lot of um, clients who you'll um, 
it's like uh, you're speaking a different language. It's like mm-hmm. suddenly you're speaking Italian at me when you, when <laughs> you're telling me like, wait, you're not freaked out by this. You're not. You're actually just holding me in care. And like, um, uh, it's like a, a unlearning, relearning thing. It's really mm-hmm. cool to see in therapy. Yeah, I always pictured it, uh, and this is like gonna tie into a lot of my thoughts. So bear with me if I'm like rushing you mm-hmm. with like my theory, but. No, I'm into it. For me, it, it feels like, how do I put this? Like authenticity or, or your true self or where you want to go is like a, like an energy, like an energy font, right? And it's just like bushelling forward, this active energy of, of becoming, becoming yourself, pursuing the things you want to value, discovering what those values are. And then over time, things will get in the way. So then it's, it's almost like a barrier goes up, blocking that energy. So now the energy is just building up. And I think of this a lot with male mental health when dealing with uh, grief or sadness, let's say, because that's a big part of the work I do. And it's, we all know that emotions are designed to be processed. Emotions are a feedback system used for us to understand the world around us. And we also know based on uh, biology that your amygdala will hold on to these things until they're dealt with. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So it's just a rush of water behind a dam. And in therapy, the job isn't to swim in the water and tell you that you're swimming. It's to get you to recognize what that barrier is and what you want to do with it. Here's mm-hmm. what's getting in the way. Is it weaponized shame? Is it guilt? Is it whatever it is? And what do you want to do with that barrier? Do you want to get rid of it? How do you want to, how do you want to play mm. this to let that water flow? I really like that way of thinking about it. I, I hadn't heard that before. I see it as like... Um, um, trying to come at it from a different way. Like when I say, um, learn how to hold your stuff differently. It's like, yeah, the relationship to the thing. So for mm-hmm. you, it's the dam. And like, what do we do with that dam? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, you're holding on tight to this thing. How do we loosen the grip? Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you you can, um, you're, you're looking at it differently. You're holding it differently. Um, and it's taking less energy to, you're squeezing it tight. Um, That's right. A lot of people come in tight grip, <laughs> to their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And then, uh, I think it was Michael White from Narrative Therapy talks a lot about, uh, you know, the people aren't the problem, the problem is the problem. Mm-hmm. And that is a perfect explanation because when you have that tight grip, so let's say it's uh, shame. This comes up a lot, like weaponized shame. So we're feeling, we're feeling ashamed of something we were taught to always feel ashamed when we're, when we're in this area. So now it's weaponized, which means nobody has to tell you to be ashamed of yourself. You're telling yourself that. Mm-hmm. And that's your barrier. And so now you're thinking you have a problem with things like imposter syndrome. That's one link that always shows up is like imposter syndrome. And so one way to look at it different isn't like, I have imposter syndrome, that's a problem. It's what is imposter syndrome doing for you? Mm-hmm. What is the what purpose what is, does it serve? Exactly. You know, what mm-hmm. is, why, what, if imposter syndrome is the solution, where did that come yeah. from? Mm-hmm. And why is it so important? It's a total different way of looking at it. And it, it, um, I see, you probably see the same thing. Like I see gears turning and things clicking when they're starting to relate to their problems, not as these big beasts, but as these things that have been trying to help them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's so much easier to get to self-compassion when we're not like, there's this thing I'm doing that I friggin' hate. Yeah. I hate it so much. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, we want to not hate that. Let's get to know it. Why is it there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes easier to to find that self-compassion. But when we're just going in with like, I hate that I do this thing and I want to be kinder. That's not, that's not, we need to, you're right. Like the, the thing is the thing. Um, they're not the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you just said, because it's almost like we're, let's learn tools to combat the problem. So then we're just reinforcing it because we're going after it. It's almost like using shame to beat shame. Yeah. It just reinforces the shame. Do you do, I'm curious, do you do like homework with clients? Like, will you have like formal, formal homework with them? It depends on the client. So everything I do is really client dependent entirely. Uh, so the homework usually is, you know, chew on what we talked about because yeah. a lot of, so a lot of my thoughts on this, um, like I said, stem from like postmodern thoughts. So you, with people like uh, Nietzsche or Foucault, uh, Deleuze, those are the three big heavy hitters for me. And so underlying a lot of their thought on problems is these, this barrier concept, which means who you are, if I can say that, uh, is this rushing water? It's this flow. Mm. And so things are getting in the way of the, in, of the flow. Your job is just to be active and kind of open those dams. So if we focus on shifting perspective on those dams, you will naturally flow. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you where to go. I don't have to tell you, you know, six months from now, you should feel this. That makes no sense because it's you that's going to find that as mm-hmm. you build. Mm-hmm. And so with homework, it's really about chewing on what we just said, seeing where that comes from. Some of the homework that I'll do involve, if it's with men, involves getting to know their bodies a lot better mm-hmm. so they can understand how these responses show up. Because for, for us, and this was my experience directly, and male culture, we're, we're taught to be divorced most of the time from our emotions. We're allowed yeah. to feel anger and frustration. So those flows will always, if I'm grieving, I'm angry. If I'm frustrated, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Angry, flows, yeah. Right? And that's because there's no barrier around anger. So it can free flow that direction. And so what we'll do is we'll say, okay, so when you're in the heat of an amygdala response, we'll call it, so a red line, you can't stop it when you're in it. So you're, you're raging now or you're shut down now. So just ride that wave. But what we're going to do is, is to show you how to f- see it coming because mm. the body will always give you signals. And so I'll show us spend you know, the first week in therapy is really just over the next week. When you're in those situations, pay attention to what your body does. And what you're building for them is proprioception, right? It's the same as going to the gym. You have to, your body's, your muscles have to learn how to correspond mm-hmm. with the nervous system to mm-hmm. correspond with a neurological link so that you can run properly or bench press properly. And so in the same way, if they're not paying attention to it, then they're not, it's not relevant. So then we bring it into relevance. Then yes. we can build tools. There's from so there. much info there. Yeah. yeah. That's like, uh, I, I, often my version of homework is often just like, I want you to notice, notice what happens when this comes Mm -hmm. up. I want you to put words to it and, and feel how it feels physically. And I have like a running joke with a few of my clients of like, you're going to tell me to notice. We're going to be noticing things. I'm so sick of noticing things, but I'm like, that's it. That's the stuff. And I, 
um, have new words to put to it now with that, like, um, they're the flow. And um, we're just trying to shift those barriers. Mm -hmm. And, and if we notice what's happening, we're, we're coming at it from a different perspective. That's, um, that's powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's all about rhythms, right? Uh, something I talk about a lot is it's all about rhythms. So when you're in a situation, so for myself, like I was bullied severely growing up from like a young kid until like 16, 17. And so my concept of belonging uh, didn't mm. come until like later on in life. So I didn't work on the muscle of belonging when I was younger because people were dangerous. And so growing up, that translated to me being a, uh, like socially anxious was something I, I say. And really what that is, is that I've now entered a rhythm of being anxious around this certain mm -hmm. event. So mm -hmm. the job was to pay attention to, okay, well, if I take a step back from that, so let's say I'm going to a work Christmas party. This is a famous example I always use. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to get worked up about that the day before. And by worked up, I mean, I'm going to feel it in my stomach. Same way as I do when I do this podcast or when I give a speech, like some of the things, which is my favorite things to do. But it always starts in the stomach. Mm. And so when it's in the stomach, there's butterflies, there's like washroom incidents, like all kinds of stuff will happen. But that's like a normal pattern that I've now jumped into. And my body's responding to the rhythm of going to this Christmas party or giving a talk. And so the idea is if you can understand your rhythms, so this, what your body, it's kind of like jumping in the river. So I'm going to do a speech today. Now I'm in the river yes. and we're going. Mm -hmm. So if you can figure out what your body does when it's in the river or before, then you can adjust the pattern. So how do you want to mm -hmm. care for yourself before you jump in that river? Do you want to jump in the river differently? Do you want to swim with it? How is this going to look? But you, it's not something I can tell you. This, you know, do the backstroke, right? Yeah. I can't say that. But you'll figure it out as you start to get to know what rhythms you jump into based on how you want it to go you'll adapt mm. towards that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think early on, a lot of my therapy work is um, that the like, like taking the step back, noticing what's happening. And then the challenge, like, I'll be like, don't do anything differently. I want you to mm -hmm. go through it. But I want you to do it with that, that um, kind of bird's eye view of, mm -hmm. oh, I can see what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And there's so much power in that. Like we start to feel more agency when we're like, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's right. um, suddenly we can, we can, um, there's a bit of movement there for change. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty cool to see. I love talking about therapy. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's amazing to see how people adapt when their value systems and their, their needs are being met. It's mm -hmm. really the, the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see them show up differently, even like putting, um, putting labels to like, okay, what do you need? And what are you getting in therapy that you're not getting outside of therapy? Mm. And that like eye opening. Um, and then like, how do I get what I'm getting in therapy outside of therapy is like, the the needs being met is such a like light bulb for so many mm -hmm. people. It has been from for myself as well. Um, some some important shifts um yeah you work with a lot with like needs and things like that yeah mainly i mainly um because i deal a lot with male mental health so a lot of it is like vulnerability uh i don't know what to call that vulnerability rhythms because it's not it's mm -hmm. not really issues but it's it's a sense of vulnerability that's a muscle that hasn't been worked out 
right? Because adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. vulnerability can be dangerous. Uh, society or the socius teaches men not to be vulnerable. You're, you know, you have to be tough. You have to suck it up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Don't ask for help. Be a fixer, be a provider, all these things, which all have benefits. It's like pros and cons. But if you're not being open, then you can't really invite people in, which is where the troubles show up in the water. Mm, the way my brain um, frames that with my male clients is um, so I do a lot of like parts work and mm-hmm. internal family systems and I'll use a boardroom analogy of like all mm-hmm. the parts of you at a, at a boardroom table. And for a lot of the, the men I work with, the boardroom table is like a war room. Like mm-hmm. I'm picturing just the, and I've used the analogy of like KGB officers just with like aggressive mustaches yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in the back of the room is like um, some really good parts, but some like maybe a little advisor back there that's like, Maybe we don't have to speak to ourselves like this or guys, maybe it's not, maybe it's not actually a war. Can we just like take a moment and listen to each other? Mm-hmm. So there's some really good parts, but they haven't for so many societal reasons for men, they haven't been invited to the table. They're just like mm-hmm. hanging out out back waiting to be called in, but they're there. And that's, yeah, that's like right. a big eye opener for men too, is like, it's no, they're there. It's not that we have to like invent this part of ourselves. It exists. It just hasn't been given the the time to speak. Mm -hmm. I love the independent, the uh, family systems for that. So I always Mm -hmm. picture it. You use a war room. I use a gym. Ooh. And the person is sitting in the middle and there's chairs all around. Each one of them have a voice. Let's find them. Let's identify them. And let's identify who has the microphone. And usually it's the safety manager is who has the microphone and hasn't given it up in 30 years. Yeah. Holding on tight to that microphone. And, and so as soon as job, someone else tries to talk is just like stealing it back. That's right. It'll use like weaponized shame or guilt to kind of say, no, you can't do that. You're going to die or no, mm-hmm. you're an idiot or you can't do this. Nobody will listen to you. And it's purely as a defense, uh, as a, a catalyst to initiate your defense, which is like shutdown mm-hmm. or anger, fight, flight, protect freeze. myself. Yeah. 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 Fun. It's a pretty amazing when you, it's amazing when you watch because the therapy, I would say, so I'm going to make a bold statement here. We can unpack this. Okay. I think therapy in general is all about recognizing those voices, where they come from and working out the voices that don't have a chance to speak, which is typically yourself. The thing in the middle mm-hmm. of the chair is the one that doesn't speak because you're you're giving up the keys to the car, so to speak, to, to your defense mechanisms because you've had mm-hmm. to. There's nothing wrong with that. You've had to. But what I find interesting is a lot of those defense mechanisms were built at like an early age, right? So you're talking to a defense mechanism with the maturity of whenever it yes. crystallized, mm-hmm. right? And you're trying to use reason to talk to a four-year-old anger system, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't have any kids, but if you've raised kids or have talked to a four-year-old, you can't really sit down and be reasonable with them when they're throwing a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And I, I find a lot of um, a lot of clients will like the frustration that they feel towards parts of themselves. It's like their adult adult self frustrated with like yeah with a child. Mm-hmm. So um if we can we can see that a bit differently as like okay can we crouch down and talk to that part like 
I, I often get clients to um, pull up pictures of themselves at that time and mm. like, okay, look at that kid. Can we, would you be saying what you're saying to me right now to that kid? Of course not. Um, we're, we're dealing with like a, a soft, soft, mushy part um, mm. that needs to be talked to with a lot more kindness. And a lot of the time they're not ready to do that. That's okay too, but we can notice that it's a child. Um, notice that it's younger mm. um, but I, I agree with you yeah a lot of what we're doing is like um, uh, not present day stuff and it's the barriers blocking us to like yes yourself um, I've had a conversations with clients recently around like um, self-loathing and shame and mm. it's felt like them for so long that they're like blended with they're like mm -hmm. no that's me that's my voice mm -hmm. and I use a lot of humor around like I, pr I promise that's not your voice <laughs> I mm -hmm. promise you like can we just separate like okay that part sounds like that doesn't sound like you um mm. that sounds a little bit different than you but um I promise it's not it's not it, it just has sounded like you for so long that um you feel like it is mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an amazing part of this work that gets me really excited because we, my my view of identity. You're talking about authenticity, so my view of identity is really uh, like I've wrestled with it for like 20 years of mm -hmm. of school and activity, and it boils down to, you know, the self is or identity is is uh, habitual, created over time, based on whatever practices or habits you're engaging in to reinforce it. It's kind of like a jazz song. Many of the instruments are playing, but then when they all come together, you can identify the song. So if you can change mm -hmm. the rhythm. And so oh, I love that when you talk about self-loathing or imposter syndrome or things like that, which come up a lot, it, it can feel like that's who you are. I am an imposter or I suck. I hate myself. Mm -hmm. All these things can feel like, you know, my identity is that I don't like myself. I am a sardonic, like all these things show up. But it's because you've been engaged in sardonic activity or activities of self-loathing for protective reasons and all these things over time that you are now identifying with these actions as yourself. So it's it's really interesting to watch that happen and to when you start to separate it, it's interesting to watch as personalities start to shift and change mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like... Um well, then who the heck am I if I haven't, mm -hmm. if I'm, okay, so if I'm not the self-loathing voice that I've heard for so long, what does my voice sound like? And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. We get to explore, like, it's there. Mm -hmm. We just haven't put the words to it yet. Yeah, um, that's where the yeah. real work begins, right there. Mm -hmm. Right, like mm -hmm. when you're dealing with someone who's been a fawner for most of their life or people pleaser, like we know from people pleasing that it's a tactic, a survival instinct to hide yourself down as far as you can because to shine any light on it means it's open to abuse or pain or hurt. Mm -hmm. So you help other people, you give everything to other people in, in hopes that nobody looks at you. And then you wake up 30 years later and you're like, what about me? Yes. And that's like an echo in an empty room, where, but it hurts, there's something in that. And then once you get through all those barriers and you sift through that you know, dark woods of stuff that you're trying to unpack, you find this little seed that wants to be nurtured. And now you have to discover what your needs are and discover who you are and what you like and all that sort of stuff. And that's a, f a powerful conversation and action. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then seeing people actually 
take the steps to meet their own needs mm-hmm. and set boundaries and um, speak up when when they're wronged. It's so cool to see people come into into their own. And these are the types of clients that like talk about authenticity. The the recovering people pleaser is very much something I relate to. Mm-hmm. So I will when I'm talking to clients like this, do a little bit of like humor around, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest a thing here. Keep in mind, would I be able to do this myself? I don't know. We can both, we'll both take this home (laughs) and try to challenge ourselves with this. And we'll just like reconvene and see how we did because it's very much something that um, is like what I work on in my own therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's kind of cool to relate to clients that way without, of course, um, I feel like self self uh, disclosure gets a bad rap in our in our uh, line of work, but I do I love I love a, a conscious self disclosure and then put the the emphasis back on the client. But especially with people pleasing clients, I am like right there with them, mm-hmm. um, and and doing a bit more self disclosure there. Yeah, I agree with that. Self disclosure is such a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful tool, and I I think it's very important. You know, and, I, and because we're having a human conversation, right? You're not talking to a robot. Yes. Yeah. If someone asks me, like, how was your week? I'm not going to go into, um, uh, like, the ins and outs of <laughs> my week and <laughs> all the things that went right or wrong. But I will tell them, like, eh, feeling okay, you know, mm-hmm. this time of year. Um, mm-hmm. And instead of a, like... Um, I remember in school being taught that we should reflect back to them like, oh, it's interesting that you want to know how my week has been. And I'm like, okay, I'm going (laughs) to just, I'm going to answer the question. Like same with like um, my age or um, I have like a few clients that know that I have pets and will ask how my pets are doing. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to answer the question. I'm not going to try and turn it into this. Like, it's interesting that you want to know about this. Mm -hmm. Um, We're humans. I don't know if you find the same thing. Like, do clients ask you like, yeah. well, yeah, some, like general humans. questions? Mm-hmm. We're humans. And you know, a, a lot of the, it's funny. And I, I'm going to explain this not for you because <laughs> you're trained, <laughs> uh, but this is for the audience uh, entirely, but it, it's interesting. So uh, when, when we're getting taught as therapists uh, that self-disclosure is bad, one of the reasons for that is because you want to make sure that the, the focus isn't on, the therapist, right? The focus is on you, the clients. That's why you're here. You're coming into the room for a safe space to work on yourself and get to where you want to go. And so you get a heavy focus on lack of self-disclosure because of that. So when we're asking you a question, like, it's interesting that you would ask me this, right? That That is a looking for something type question, which mm-hmm. I am, I'm adverse to that because it's also, to me, a pathologizing question. So mm-hmm. it's assuming that to, to play that back to you is assuming like there must be something wrong with you asking that question. Yes. Which makes no damn sense. None. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I think that's one thing where a lot of the training will take it too far. And I understand that they want to like hammer that to make sure the focus is always on the client. But the focus we know from all the studies that have been done on many different modalities, the therapeutic relationship is the number one factor of positive outcomes in therapy. And I think a large, a large part of that is because it's human to human contact mm-hmm. entirely. So if we're using self-disclosure to talk about our week because we don't want to talk to you, because we're just like, yeah, we're more important. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like that all of the time. 
and I, I find that a lot of the, I, it rubbed me the wrong way in our training around like the, the not self-disclosing. It could come across as, um, like shaming. I would feel shame if, if, um, uh, I was the client and I asked how my therapist was and she turned it into a, a kind of pathologizing, um, let's examine this. Mm-hmm. No, nope, I just wanted to know how your week was. Now I'm feeling weird. Um, yeah, and if I can right. have clients not feel weird, that's kind of, <laughs> that's A plus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're doing your job right when you don't, <laughs> what is it? What is, it, what is that word? Uh, ostracize your client. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we try not to do that. I, yeah. I would like them to feel safe at all times, <laughs> not uh, not weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I mean, it's it's tough enough to go to therapy. Like I always, yes. when somebody shows up for their first session, I always feel an immense amount of respect because that's a very awkward thing to do. It's a very vulnerable mm-hmm. thing. No matter what you're getting out of it, it's difficult in our society to ask for help because we're supposed to, and this is like, I'm using air quotes here, supposed to as in the society teaches us this. They're supposed to be self-sufficient. So for some reason, talking about things that are bothering us means we're weak, which makes no sense considering that humans are social creatures. So we need to go somewhere and not be judged about it to know that what we're going through is normal. And that's really the normalizing aspect of therapy, I think, is a large part of why it works. For someone to come in and say, this is what I'm going through. You know, I have a problem. I'm anxious. And then they talk about it and it's like, well... (laughs) It makes sense that you're anxious. Yes. So what do we do? What do we do with this new knowledge that it makes perfect sense that you're anxious? Where do you yes, want to go? Yes, let's start with from there instead of like like I had to unlearn a lot of the uh, again the language from our, our training around like let's reduce those symptoms and let's mm-hmm. um, um, we're gonna work on coping skills for anxiety and that's that's great for some people but I definitely start from a place of it makes sense that you'd be anxious. It sounds like this has served you for a long time. Mm -hmm. Can we look at this a different way? Can we play with this a different way? Can we find humor in, um, oh, okay, brain, you're getting real creative here with how you're trying to protect me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that to me is how people change, not a a symptom reduction. Again, fine for, um, I'm not gonna rag on other other types of therapy, but that's just not, not for me, not my style. Yeah, and it's not called, I mean, it's called for where it needs to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, there's a time and a place. Time and a place for stuff like that. And I think, because I think a lot a lot of what happens just to bounce off of the authenticity piece that you brought up is, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking we're the problem because in our society we, like, we're overstretched. So I'm going to philosophize for a minute here. Uh, we're overstretched in our society. So we get so many uh, stimulus from like movies, TV, music, that uh, there's like perfect people out there. And what society does as a whole is to try to push problems uh, off camera and try to push it away so that we can be silos with our problems because it's too much for the system to handle everybody struggling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And because we're so overstretched with how this, you know, stressful environment plays out most of the time, everybody is going to be stressed out, anxious, dep- like depression. These things are going to show up based on how fast paced our system is. Yeah, that's like a normal reaction to the, the type of world we live in. That's, that's not, right. It's uh, a perfectly normal reaction. So and because historically, we've grown up in a medical model system, which isn't a problem 
we've needed to solve problems. I mean, when somebody's sick, we need to find the right medicine. But when it comes to mental health, it's, it's a little bit different because they're going through very normal things. So when we're siloing people to like take care of your own shit, it's something you hear a lot of the time, right? Mm-hmm. When we put people in boxes like that, it's like, well, to take care of this, I need to understand that it's normal to feel it, first of all. In order to do that, I need to be able to talk about it. I need to meet other people who go through it, and I need to understand that I'm not in a silo. Mm-hmm. But the flow of society pushes us into a silo. And so when they come yes. in therapy, you're out of the silo. You're with someone who's most likely experienced it before. And so t- for us in therapy to stand on a high horse is just to put them back in the silo. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it needs it it where possible, I feel like our job as therapists is to um, kind of undo those power differentials mm-hmm. that the medical model, like we're so used to, I go to the doctor, they are the ones with the knowledge and they bestow the knowledge and the medication upon me and I'm healed. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of um, a lot of clients come into therapy thinking that, that that's going to be the dynamic. And it takes a while to acclimatize to, um, oh, it doesn't have to be like that. And mm-hmm. by all means, some clients want that. They want to go in and like, um, be given the things and then like kind of more medical. But, um, to me, like, that's not, that's not how I would like to help people heal. And that's not how I think people heal. Mm-hmm. They need to be met with someone who's another, who's a human and who is as, as, as close to them in, um, like kind of those power, power structures as possible. But mm-hmm. with all of that being said, that's like kind of impossible. Like you come into my office, mm-hmm. I have, mm-hmm furniture that's welcoming i i mean i dress um pretty casual but you know i'm still presentable like i have to look a certain way for and so already there's those power differentials in place so anywhere kind of i see it as like anywhere i can um uh limit the difference um i'm going to try to do that whether it's how i talk and being authentic and using Mm -hmm. a self-disclosure to build rapport um I like to like have stuff in my office that's like very normalizing. Like I offer clients books if they want to take books home. I mm-hmm. um, lose a lot of books that way, but that's okay. Was, that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> I've started doing, I have like two shelves of the bookshelf that I'm like, okay, these are books that like you can take the rest of them. Like we can't, we can't be given away all, all my, all my therapy books, but um, it's important to me to have it, have it feel like uh, um not like you're walking into a clinic that is very like doctor's office like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, it's all about normalizing the experience. And, you know, we do therapists deal a lot with like symbols and signifiers a lot. That's what we're looking for. What does this signify to you? What does this symbol mm. represent for you? How do we weave these together? And, and the power differential is a huge uh, signifier. Right. So when you show up casually, like I do, I'm either in like a checkered shirt, like like my plaid shirts, or I'm in like a philosophy based band T-shirt. Yes. Constantly. It's about all I wear. Mm-hmm. And so but I do that because that's me. So I'm, what I'm doing there instead of showing up in a suit like I did on my very first day uh, is to strip down one aspect of the signifier showing that I'm the mm-hmm. expert. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can get rid of as many of those power signifiers as possible then you're stuck with one power differential that you can't get rid of. And it is the fact that you are the therapist they're coming to see. But your job, as you know, because you just described it, I'm just basically spinning in a different way. Your job is to see that power differential and 
work with the client to build what it represents. And in that case, and this is where I think that uh, Carl Rogers was, this is where his brilliance came from. This is when he figured this out. This is how he changed the game. And it was, yes, I am trained in this. I am the person you are coming to see for help. And how this help is going to be given is that I'm going to show you that you're perfectly human. So treat you like a human by being mm. empathetic, non-judgmental, and congruent in my feelings. So how I reflect that in therapy with men is that I'm a man who's had significant vulnerability issues, helping people with vulnerability issues. So I'm always incredibly open about that. And my job has to be that I am open. So if the need for tears is coming, despite how embarrassing that is, I will cry. Like all of these yeah. flows have to be open in order for the people I'm talking to to experience that. Because a lot of it is experiential. They've just never been in a room with someone who's vulnerable, let alone a male. Yes. Yes, like a lot of our job is modeling, mm -hmm. um, modeling and mirroring, um, like a like a healthy attachment. Um, and so part of that is like it, it. When I have clients who will tell me a story about someone who wronged them, and because I care about the client, I start to feel angry. I'll mm -hmm. just name. I'll kind of do a, a preamble of like, okay, there's a part of me that's showing up right now that's really angry. So we're just gonna, just gonna say this. This isn't very therapisty, but and it becomes like a. a a running joke, but I'm like, okay, no, I'm angry again. Okay, here's why. Um, mm -hmm. And then we go back into um, what we were talking about. But mm -hmm. that I find that those are like really important, um, important moments for clients, like I mm -hmm. see things shift. Um, and I, I can't imagine not not doing that in my work. Um, like a, a acknowledging when I'm angry, uh, anger is a big one, um, especially mm -hmm. for like, recovering recovering people pleasers who will tell me about someone who wronged them and I'm like oh no I'm mm -hmm. coming in with some energy here and uh I think that's important information um mm -hmm. kind of Anger's modeling a big piece of that mm -hmm. especially with people pleasing like that's very central is that the anger is that is is the energy of anger or that font is redirected a different way. I'm not allowed to be angry. I don't want to be in a confrontation yes, because that'll put a spot on that. Mm -hmm. I better toss this somewhere else can I hide or avoid or people please any other more way? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when someone gets angry, I'm like, I will um, validate and amplify that anger. I'm like, I'm so glad you're angry. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's right. <what> <laughs> I used to, when we were doing live sessions, I'm only virtual and over the phone now, but I used to have a, a, a pillow and I called it the fuck you pillow. And so when somebody got angry, I'm like, feel free to just yell as loud as you can into that pillow or smash that pillow up against the wall and just like get it out. And, yes. you know, the point of it was just that muscle stuff. So you're not used to expressing anger. So express it. It's one, the one space where if you like jumped on the couch and screamed at the top of your lungs, I'll probably do it with you. Yeah, it's not a, a negative experience. It's very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Um, and and um it's like, I, I do think there's a lot of nuance to, um, to the uh, mirroring and modeling and kind of like mm -hmm. amplifying, like if someone's feeling angry, going with that anger with them mm -hmm. and the nuance of like, okay, and this is where it becomes an art is like, I'm going to also hold on to a lot of my stuff as you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to like 
make the value call. Like I often think of that meme of um, the person doing like complicated algebra and just kind of <laughs> staring off into the distance because inside I'm doing a like, okay, how much of this is going to be helpful for them? How much is going to, and like obviously authentic too, mm -hmm. but like um, doing all those calculations um, and then showing myself. So mm -hmm. it's, um, I think uh, um, I have some, some friends who are like, oh, you're so authentic in therapy. It must just be like, you showing up with the client and I'm like well sort of yeah but I'm also having to do the the algebra in my head mm -hmm. as it's going I don't know if you feel the same way I think it, as a symptom of my ADHD which is how I show up in the world which I'm also like quite proud of I show up first and then backtrack and that's just mm. my brain so if I like and it, it, it does happen where if I like I'm right there with them and then I'll walk them through what happened Yes. And it's I not a, a therapist too. trick. It's just how I express myself. Yes. Uh, so oftentimes it's not a therapist trick. It's me being like, whoops, <laughs> that's a little bit too much. Let's back up. This is what yes. happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've done that before. And I like definitely don't have a poker face. That's like a running, like I'll make a face and I'll be like, whoa, I'm sorry. I made that face out loud. Here's what was happening for me. Um, so I can totally relate to that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah part of being human. That's right. And it's part of... Uh, I'm lucky with the work that I do that it allows me to be expressive. Like just, I'm totally yes. in it. And you know, that's very, uh, I think it's Fritz Perl, but uh, Gestalt, that was the original game of the Gestalt therapist is just, we're going to be there whether you like it or not. And he was like famous for like yelling and all kinds of stuff. He went a little too far, but being as authentic as possible, because I mean, think about what you just said and what you're doing. If you're a people pleaser and you're not used to being angry, that means anger is not part of your gestalt, which is the experience of the world around you and how this mm -hmm. whole world is, is constructed. It's a behind the world thing. So similar to my conversation with you about belonging and for myself, right? Like part of the issues with belonging is it's not a part of my world. So I've never existed in a world where I felt like I could belong. So it's one thing like anger. It's one thing to build the skill to be angry, to welcome anger now. It's a whole other thing to realize that it's in the world. Because when yes. you write, anger is a boundary emotion. So when you get angry, you're setting boundaries up. If you're not used to setting boundaries up, then the world around you is not used to you setting up those boundaries. So you're not sure how people are going to react. None of that. So as a therapist in this room, if we can bring these things into the room, yes. then you get a hands-on experience of this as part of your gestalt. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you will naturally adapt with it because that's what humans do. We adapt through yes. experience. So it's kind of like bringing it to the table, like bringing mm -hmm. it. That's right. Um, mm -hmm. And making I it visible. That. that I will think of that the next time I'm like, oh, God, what happened? Like the the catching yourself and, mm -hmm. and having to explain what happened. I'll, I like that reframe. That feels a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it, it definitely leads to unique situations. I'll tell mm -hmm. you that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. I think one particular situation where I jumped up like on the chair and I stood up I was just like wow that's ridiculous and I got like really mad and then I after I did it, I went oh shit right in my head I was like oh and then the person did the same thing they jumped up that's ridiculous I'm like now you're talking yeah then, then we can talk about that but that's that was one particular moment. outburst where I was like oh maybe I could have taken a breath mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I get that way with um 
uh, like if, if someone's being wronged by the medical, um, like the mental mental health care system in, in some other way, um, the the walls come down and I'm, I go into like advocate, mm-hmm. um, this, uh, like a mama bear mode of like, no, what do you need me to do? Who can I? And then I'm like, whoa, okay, hold on a second. Do you need me to do anything? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't have to step in here. This is my own stuff about mm-hmm. um, uh, like, people having the the right to mental health care that I, I can I can step back if we need to. But a lot of the time people I find um, that you're right, like it can um, model for them that like, wait a second, no, it's okay to feel that way. And mm-hmm. I actually might feel a bit more like that than I, I had given myself credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be it can be really cool. I don't think we're ever very off base. Like I haven't laughed when someone's crying or anything yeah, like that's right, that. that's right. we haven't gone there. That's right, because we're usually pretty, in- I mean, a good therapist, and this can, we can have a conversation about this now, because we started this way, the difference between a good and like a bad therapist, where you hear stories, and you're like, oh, God, what's yes. happening here? It really, for me, has a lot to do with attunement. How are we attuning to like, are you actually mm-hmm. listening? And that's, and it, it might be I'm sensitive to it, because that's the core wound for myself. Like when mm-hmm. I'm Same. being dismissed, that sets me off. Like that's my core wound. Yes. Uh, and that stems from my need for connection, right? And that's the belonging piece again. And so when I hear, you know, part of being a good therapist is to be attuned to your client. Actually listen. Don't listen, wait for your turn to speak. Don't walk mm-hmm. in and be like, this is the 47 ways I'm going to fix you. Like, let's do this because it's mm-hmm. not the conversation we're having. But it's all about attunement and nothing fires me up more than hearing stories from clients who tried therapy and then they they quit therapy and they were just like i'm not doing this and then years later they have to come back because the therapist wasn't listening they weren't attuned to them mm-hmm. nothing pisses me off more than that yes yes because i feel like that is when i think of what i provide that's it mm-hmm. that's not it but that, that's the baseline of it um is that attunement and so mm-hmm. yes so we can do things like um if i'm going to express um, uh, anger, it's attuned. Like I, I'm not off base and I I know I'm not off base because I'm attuned to you Mm -hmm. and I'm secure enough in our therapeutic relationship that if I, if I, um, uh, like if I'm, we're doing labeling emotions and I'm like, it sounds like you might be feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And they say, Nope, actually it's this. I'm okay with that because I know Mm -hmm. that, that we're, um, we're coming from the same, like we're in it together. Mm-hmm. And um, that seems to have been the, the experience of a lot of my clients is that they've had therapists who um, weren't for whatever reason attuned. Mm-hmm. And in my own um, learning to be a, a therapist and getting more comfortable in my role, I've had to accept that like some like clients are going to have that experience with me, right? For mm-hmm. whatever reason, I'm not going to be they might they might um, meet their next therapist and talk about how things didn't feel right with me. And that's okay. That's mm-hmm. all part of it. I'm not supposed to attune to everyone. I'm not supposed to be for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, I expect the same for my clients that like, yeah, you you should keep searching until you find a therapist that you feel like, oh, an exhale of I feel like I, I can be safe with this person. Yeah, they I, get me. Mm-hmm. Right, and, uh, you know, it's a large mm-hmm. part of my consent form process. Uh, so is is right is talking about okay. So we're going to try this for the first two sessions, and it's really important that we both are open about whether or not we jive. 
because that relationship is everything here. So if, if by the second session you're like, uh, I don't think this is working, tell me. You won't offend me. It's part of the mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm part of a network of therapists. Like I meet therapists yes. all the time. So I've known you for two sessions. I've got a good handle on you know, what's going on. I can suggest and help you find someone so that you don't go away and just be on your own. Because mm-hmm. that's exactly. not the point. Like I'm not going to leave you mm-hmm. uh, um, high and dry. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a large a... part of our responsibility as therapists. Yes. Because you can't yes. treat everyone. You can't attune to everyone. Sometimes yeah, it's just I'm not, not going to be... work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you like, I've had a, a number of clients who, as their needs change, we reassess like, um, uh, or, or I'll reflect to them like, you know, the past few sessions, um, I've noticed this is this is um, like a recurring thing that keeps coming up. And um, I, for, for me, a big one is um, I can tell when someone wants a solution to a problem mm. and I am never going to give you a solution to a problem. We're going to talk about the problem and how you relate to the problem. And, um, but I'm, I'm not going to give you like a do this and then we're going to neutralize how you're, <laughs> you're not <laughs> yeah, going to feel bad right. anymore. <laughs> um, but if I get enough of that energy, that's usually a, a, a cue for me of like, okay, we can either continue to process this and process why that's feeling so hard for you and so frustrating. And um, maybe if you're feeling some like, um, any feelings towards me about that, we can talk about it. Um, but if you're, you're really like, Ooh, I just, I want, I want someone to throw some things at me to solve this problem. And mm-hmm. you're just frustrating me by talking about it. Um, I mean, not frustrating, but I'm feeling un- unsatisfied or not like the right fit, then by all means, that's okay. Yes, we did what we did good work in the time we were together. Mm-hmm. You've, you've graduated or you've however we want to mm-hmm. call it. Um, but I'll, I'll find a therapist that can kind of provide that type of service to you. But um, it doesn't have to be me. And that's kind of that's a really cool part of therapy. You can ebb and flow through therapists that's as right. your needs change. You can tra- transition as your needs change. I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to be open to it. And I I do understand that attachment develops. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's difficulties with, with change when it comes to that because you've done a lot of great work. But it's so important to recognize, well, my needs have like leveled up. I'm in like level yes. two of this game now, so I have to move on to something a little and bit And what different. a sign of progress if right. you're finding, like that means you were showing up differently and your needs mm-hmm. have changed. That's, That's pretty right. cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, this has been awesome. This is great. <laughs> so before I let you go, because I do not ever want to forget this, can you once again remind everyone where to find you? And we'll take it from there. Yes. So... Um, my website is levitycounseling.com. I work out of the Nepean area of Ottawa um, with my associate Jess, and um, we both have availability in the new year if anyone's looking for therapy. Um, as well, we're on Facebook at Levity Counseling with some updates and stuff. Um, I think that's it. We're not on Instagram yet. We're <laughs> that's a whole torrent, I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> I started mm-hmm. on Instagram. <laughs> that was a learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't go there yet. I can't go there yet. Facebook, website, that's where you could find us. Yeah, Email me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at Levity Counseling, do they have, uh, have you started like uh, groups 
or workshops or talks or something like that's that? coming in the new year yeah we cool. have like um the space for some small groups so we're thinking of running um some groups in the new year so we'll we'll post about that on our website and on facebook when those are in motion but yeah awesome that's exciting Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you for being on the show. This is really exciting. I know that we got a lot out of it. And I, well, I certainly did. This was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was lovely to chat with you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And all right, everybody, you know where to find me, couch.2.couch at Instagram. Uh, and my website, Chuckleblah Counseling, as well as www.ksrc.ca. That's the Kempville Stress Relief Center where I'm out of. And well, yeah, so thanks for listening to Couch to Couch. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 oh